If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And while you're turning there, let me just ask you, when you think about all of the, the presidents of our country, which one do you, do you look back on in history and say, well, this was the greatest? This was the best one? I know that we probably all have you know, different opinions. We would all point to different people. But one president that, uh, that a lot of people would look back to and say, you know, he was a great president, and it was just due to his life being cut short, uh, was John F. Kennedy. And you look at him, and, and one thing that, that made people absolutely love him is he was the embodiment of youthfulness. He was the embodiment of, of, of health. He was the picture of health. I was watching a documentary not long ago, and uh, they, they actually shared some pretty startling things about his health. Uh, internally, even though he was the picture of health externally, internally, he was very weak. And very sick. Very weak and very sick. This is what one article says about his health. Kennedy suffered from colitis, prostatitis, and a disorder called Addison's disease, which affects the body's ability to regulate blood sugar and sodium. He had osteoporosis of his lower back, causing pain so severe that he was unable to perform simple tasks like reaching across his desk and pulling a stack of papers forward. It goes on to say that the medical records reveal that Kennedy variously took codeine, Demerol, and methadone for pain, Ritalin, a stimulant. He took medicine for anxiety, barbiturates for sleep, thyroid hormone, and injections of a blood derivative, gamma globulin, a medicine that combats infections. Very, very medicated. All the medicines he took so that he could appear outwardly the picture of health. And finally, he didn't want anybody to know that he took all of that. He wanted everybody to know that he was healthy. He was healthy. And it says, goes on to say, but Kennedy and his closest circle took great pains to hide his health problems from the public, fearing that it would impede his political career. Here you have a president, a man, who everybody looks at and says he is the picture of health externally. But internally, internally, something completely different is going on. Everything on the outside, and this is what this passage that we're going to read today is saying to us, everything on the outside can appear healthy, but if we are not desiring and hungering for God on the inside, we will surely fall, just like Israel. Join with me in reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're able, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumbling as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. Upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. Lord, You are faithful to us. And Father, You help us in our weakness. And we come to You confessing this morning that we are weak. And a lot of times we, just like Israel, think that we are standing firm. Think that outwardly everything is going okay, but inwardly we fail to hunger after You, to thirst after You, to desire You. And so Lord, this morning I pray that Your Word would pierce us. And it would make us people who are not just externally going through the motions, but internally have a white-hot passion for You. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Three observations from, from this text, briefly, that, that Paul gives. First of all, he tells us that Israel looks spiritually healthy from the outside. They look spiritually okay from the exterior. Secondly, that Israel fell, not because of how they looked on the exterior, but because of what they treasured on the inside. And finally, the third observation, we should learn from Israel's fall. We don't just look at them and say that's nice, but it actually has a lot to do with us sitting here in the 21st century church. First of all, he tells us Israel looked spiritually healthy from the outside. They were the picture of spiritual health. And notice what, what Paul says here about these people. He says, they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptizing into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Just think about the blessings that Israel had externally. I mean, these were the people that God, by His mighty power, led out of slavery. These were the people that marched across the Red Sea. These were the people that He fed with manna in the wilderness. These were the people that drank from the rock. These were the people that God had chosen to make His name great among the nations. 
and everything that you could imagine, a uh, spiritual blessing that they could have, they had. But they still fell. They still fell. They fell because of not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. When I was little, my, my dad and my grandfather and I, would used, we used to duck hunt on Black Lake there in Campty in Creston. And I remember just those cold mornings. I remember it was always very early. It was always very cold. And it didn't matter how many clothes you, you could put on. I mean, I, I would bundle up. I mean, I was a preteen and I was bundling up as much as I could. But as soon as we got on the channel of the lake and, you know, and he opened it up, I'm telling you, that wind would pierce through whatever you were wearing on that cold morning. Without fail. Without fail. I remember thinking, if we could just go a little faster, we would get to the blind quicker and we wouldn't have to endure as much cold. And I would always ask, you know, why can't we just go faster? Especially right there by the boat launch. Why can't, you know, the, it's just all flat out there. You could just see the water. Why can't we just go through there? During these years, there was an accident on the lake. And uh, two men were almost, uh, almost froze to death on the lake because their boat capsized. And why did the boat capsize? It capsized not because they hit a tree. It didn't capsize uh, because they suddenly moved in the aluminum boat and flipped. It capsized because as they were going along, what to me looked like a clear, calm day, it capsized because it hit a stump that was underwater. Can you imagine it? It's not about what was over the surface, but it was what was under the surface. Everything on top of the lake appeared okay. But the stump that was under the water meant the difference in life and death. And thankfully, those men survived the ordeal. Listen, church, as we look at our lives, as we examine our lives, are we people who on the outside, everything looks okay? We're going through the motions of Christianity. We go to church. We were maybe baptized. We do all of these things, but just lurking under the surface is our problem. That if, if people could really just peel back the layers and peel back to our heart and see the desires of our heart, we would begin to, to realize we're not as okay as we thought we were. It would be a shame. And as I prepared this message, I just kept... This thought just kept coming into my mind. It would be a shame for us, for you and I, to miss the point, to fall away when we have so many spiritual advantages to us. I mean, there are places on this planet where people have never heard the name of Jesus and yet we live in a place where you have a church that preaches the Bible and maybe you were plugged into that church. Maybe you're plugged into Sunday school. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe all of these things. It would be a shame for you to have all of these things at your disposal. To hear the Word regularly on the outside. To go and attend church regularly. To be plugged into Sunday school regularly. It would be a shame for you to do that 
go through the motions, and then miss the entire point of your faith. Just like Israel. Just like Israel did. And so, of course, the question that we have to ask is, what is lurking under the surface? What is lurking under the surface for Israel? But also, what's lurking under the surface for us? Paul then moves and he tells us what's going on with Israel. How they could have all of these spiritual benefits and still fall away. And of course, what's lurking under the surface for Israel was their heart. And that brings us to the second observation here in the text. Israel fell not because of what was on the outside. They fell because of what they treasured on the inside. And we see that very clearly in verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil like they did. All of a sudden, he turns to the desire. He's saying, hey, don't desire evil like they did. Israel's problem was internal. It was a desire. And of course, a desire here is a, a, a problem. The problem that they had is they craved evil instead of craving God. They craved evil. They desired, they treasured evil more than they desired God. The issue was what they treasured in their hearts. The issue is what they treasured. It's all about what's going on inside. And we know that to be true if we're Christians because that is the Gospel that we believed. The Gospel that we came to when we, when we trusted Christ and when we trust Him every day as we walk with Him is the good news that He transforms us from what? The inside out. The Gospel is not you live a good life, you do the right things, you go through the motions externally. No, the Gospel is you come, you surrender your heart to Christ and He will forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll transform you. It's like that old saying that I hear a lot of people say. They say, I'm not who I should be, but by God's grace, I'm not who I was. That's the Gospel. And that's what we come to in Christ. And so, let's remember for us, just like for Israel, that God changes us from the inside out. That we're not behavior modification people. We don't say you come to church and clean yourself up. We say no, you come to Christ and He will change you. He'll transform you. He will become your treasure. So a question I have for you today is what's your treasure? That was the problem with Israel. They got the outside right. But they didn't get the treasuring part right. They didn't get the affections of their heart right. Inwardly, they did not desire God. What is your treasure? You're going to pursue, listen, you're going to pursue what you value most. You're going to pursue what you value most. But here's the good news. If you're like me and you turn in an introspection look at your heart, and you realize, you know, I don't desire God like I should, there's good news for you. The same gospel that we believe is the same gospel that sustains us every day. The same gospel that tells us, hey, God is transforming us. The same gospel that tells us if we come to Him and ask for help, He will change us. 
He will change our desires. He will make Himself our treasure. As we go throughout the text, Paul points out several ways that their desires manifested themselves. And the first one is idolatry. Idolatry. Which is simply placing anything before God. Treasuring anything, desiring anything before God. And it's not limited to false images. It's not limited to the false gods you read about in the Old Testament. And we we see Israel's idolatry happening repeatedly, but the heart of it, the center of it, of course, is the golden calf. And that's where he he quotes from here in verse 7. He says, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They rose up to play. And that means, you know, when you read that, you think, what does that mean? You know, what are they doing? Uh, What he has in mind here and what... Uh, what was going on is the rising up to play was revelry associated with paganism. And, of course, we know what, what the people did. While, while they were receiving the laws from God, while they were supposed to be communing with God, they're, they're building for themselves a calf, an image that they could worship. And that's not the only time that they committed idolatry. That's not the only time that they turned to other gods. We see it repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, don't we? That God's people continued to turn to other gods. That they continue to make idols for themselves. But for us, it's not these carven images, is it? For us, we make idols all the time. We make idols all the time. We place things before God all the time. We desire things more than we desire Him all the time. And to find out, we just have to ask ourselves several questions. Where does our time go? You want to find out what you treasure most? Where does your time go? You want to find out what you treasure most? Where does your money go? You want to find out what your idols are? Ask yourself, what could I absolutely not live without? What can I absolutely not live without? And whatever that is for you, wherever all of your time is going, wherever all your money is going, wherever your affection is going, wherever you're saying, I just can't live without this one thing, that is, could be for you an idol. That is what you treasure. And just like God's people, our desires, if we're not desiring God, we are desiring other things and putting them above Him. Not only is it idolatry, but it's immorality. It's immorality. This idolatry caused something to happen. In in verse 8 there, he talks about it. He says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. And here he's referring to Numbers 25, where the the people are bowing down to other gods and pursuing the sexual relationships with other women. And I just want to point out here that what starts for them as idolatry ends in immorality. For us as well, when we misplace our desires, when we misplace our treasure, and we treasure something more than we treasure God, what starts as just simple misplacing of affection will end ultimately in immorality. It will take us to a place that we don't want to go. And he's saying these people were became immoral 
And 23,000 of them died because of it. Finally, we see here that the people began to doubt God's character. And as God becomes less and less our desire, and as we start to treasure other things, of course we're going to doubt His character, just like they did. It says that they put Christ to the test. They put God to the test and were destroyed by serpents. They grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now when it says they put Him to the test, we all know the, the story of Israel. And we all know how the one thing, God had led them out mightily and victoriously. And what's their reaction? I'm hungry. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? At least if we would have stayed in bondage, we wouldn't be hungry. At least if we died in bondage, you know, people would know where we were. At least you know, if we were still there, we wouldn't be thirsty. We would be taken care of. And they doubted God. And then it says they started to grumble among themselves and complain among themselves. They were putting God to the test. They were grumbling. They were complaining. And ultimately at the heart of it is they are not trusting God's character. What starts as idolatry, what starts as misplaced desires, ultimately leads to immorality and ultimately leads them to question God's very goodness. God's very goodness. Israel's internal problems ultimately led them to fall away from God. It ultimately caused them to not enter God's promises. But here's what I want to say to us. If Israel, if Israel could fall away after God had led them out so powerfully, after God had done so much with them, if they could fail to enter God's promises, if they could fall away because of their lack of desire, how much more dangerous is it then for us? We have been brought out of an even greater bondage. Bondage to sin. Bondage to idolatry. He has brought us forth, if we're in Christ, out of those things. We have been baptized. We are plugged into the body of Christ. I mean, all of the stuff in the Old Testament points to the salvation that we've received in Christ. And so, how much more, if it's true of them, will it be true of us that if we don't have our desires in the right place, we're going to fall away from God? We're going to commit idolatry. We're going to go down that road of sin and immorality. And ultimately, we're going to start doubting God's very character until we turn away from Him. If we fail, if we fail to foster a passion for God in our hearts, a desire, an affection, we will surely fall just like they did. Just like they did. Israel had everything on the outside, but they did not have the desire for God on the inside. Finally, he tells us, we should learn from their fall. We should learn from Israel's fall. And he talks to two groups of people. He talks to the overconfident and he talks to the afraid. He talks to the overconfident and he says, if you think you're standing firm, 
be warned. You think you're standing firm, take heed lest you fall. If you think everything is okay in your walk with Christ, you need to learn a lesson from Israel. You need to learn a lesson from these people because just like them, they had everything going for them externally, but internally they fell away because they didn't desire God. And let me tell you, it is possible. I want you to hear me and hear me well. It is possible for you and I to go through the motions of Christianity. It is possible for us to do this thing called church to, to walk in, in this Christian life and miss the point. It is possible for us to go through the motions of Christianity and inwardly never desire God. And so Paul writes, urging this church in Corinth and urging our church here in Mount Carmel Urging us to not go through the motions of Christianity with no desire. Urging us not to just do something on the outside when inwardly we couldn't care less about God. While inwardly we don't desire and while inwardly we're cold and dead and apathetic. And so to those people he says, be warned. Be warned. Take heed lest you fall. To the afraid, he says this, God is faithful and provide, will provide a way of escape. To the overconfident, he meets them saying, you need to be warned. You need to be afraid. But for those of us who are afraid, and I don't know about you, but when, when I was in college especially, I was terrified and still am to this day, this fear is still here, was terrified that I was, I, I'm going to do something that's going to cause me to fall away from God. Or I'm going to do something that's just going to cause me to fall. And now how much more so as a, as a pastor, you know, now I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I'm going to unintentionally do something that's going to cause me to, you know, to fall flat on my face. And you know, sometimes that fear can paralyze us. Sometimes that fear can paralyze us, can it? That fear can make us think, well, if I can do that, then I'm not going to even attempt anything. I'm just going to kind of sit back and go into protective mode here because I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. But what is the promise here that he tells people to the afraid? He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He's saying, hey, Temptation that we face is temptation that everybody faces. It's not like some super temptation is going to come our way and cause us to fall. No super temptation is going to come our way. But the other thing that he tells the afraid, and he tells us, is that God is faithful. And this is where I just want to camp out for a second. And he tells us that we're not going to be tempted beyond our ability and God is faithful and will provide us a way of escape. You know, a lot of times we think that us living the Christian life is exactly that. It's us living the Christian life. That we live this life, we fight temptation, but we do it by our own power. 
And when it comes to us enduring to the end, we just think, well, if I endure to the end, it's going to be because you know, I'm spiritually strong and, and all of that. But what we see here is it's not the people who are strong that endure to the end. It's the people who realize that God is faithful and He's going to take us there. It's the ones who realize, the people who stand, the people who have the everything right inwardly, it's the people who realize that, hey, I'm, I can't do this on my own. I can't fight this fight in my own strength, but I need God's faithfulness to come alongside me. I need God to come and help me. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5, which says, may the, God, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, hey, I want you guys to persevere to the end and be blameless at the end. I don't know about you, but that's scary to me. Because I know Matt Warren is not going to make it to the end blameless if Matt Warren has it Matt Warren's way. But what does he say next? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let me tell you. It is essential for us to make it to the end. We have to persevere in the faith. We can't just turn aside and say, well, I was saved one time, so you know, now I can do whatever I want. No, we have to persevere in the faith. But we've got to realize that we have a God who isn't just like a teacher that's giving a test, is sitting over you just waiting for you to mark your answers. We have a God instead who stands beside us as we go through trials and temptations. We have a God who is beside us saying, hey, you're weak, you're not going to make it, but let me give you my strength. And when we stand before Him at the judgment, not a single one of us will say, Lord, I made it here because I was strong. We're going to say like the old hymn, Jesus led me all the way. Jesus led me all the way here. He stood beside me. He was faithful. We see in this text that Israel looked healthy from the outside. Do you look healthy from the outside? We see in the text that Israel fell because of what they treasured on the inside. What do you treasure? What's your idol? What do you desire? Finally, he tells us that we should learn from their fall. We should learn to desire God above all and cling to His faithfulness. And cling to His faithfulness. Everything on the outside can appear healthy. This is what I want you to take home with you. Everything on the outside of you can appear healthy. But inside... If we're not desiring God, we will surely fall just like they did. You know, when we approach God's Word, we never approach it and just leave it there, but God's Word always invites us to respond to it. It always invites us. And God is an inviting God. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the invitation then for you, God is inviting you to 
be transformed from the inside out just like we're talking about. To realize that you are never going to be good enough. We are sinners. You're not going to be good enough to make it and to earn God's favor, to make it into His presence. But you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be transformed. And you can have a relationship with God Almighty, which is what you were created for. A relationship that will satisfy you, will fulfill you. Cling to Christ. If that's you, the, the invitation is for you to cling to Christ. The one who lived a perfectly righteous life that you couldn't live, who died the death you deserved, cling to Him for your righteousness. But if you're here and you're a Christian, the invitation for you is to take an inward look. Don't look at the outside anymore. Don't look at your appearances anymore. Look on the inside. What is lurking beneath the surface? What is lurking in your heart? If you opened up yourself and could look at your heart, would it be a heart that is filled with idols? Would it be a heart that is filled with things that you treasure more than you treasure Christ? Or is it a heart that hungers and thirsts for God? A heart, just like the psalm that we read earlier, that pants for God like a deer pants for water. This morning, I invite you to pray. If you're like me and you find yourself having a heart that doesn't desire God like it should, a heart that has idols like it shouldn't, I invite you to pray. I invite you to pray every day. And not just a one-time deal right here, but I invite you to pray every day that God would put in you a passion for Himself. Because that's what it takes. That's what it takes as we fight the, the lusts of our heart, as we fight the desires of our heart. It is going to take us every day, every morning, as we kneel to pray, as we spend time with the Lord, we kneel and pray. And one of the first things we should say is, Lord, would You stir my affections for You? Lord, I woke up this morning with such a hard heart towards You. My desires are not for You. Lord, would You put in me a desire for Your name? And church, the good news is, when we pray that, He is faithful. And He will surely do it. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. Lord, we thank You that You never just come to us condemning us, saying, well, inwardly, you don't desire me. But Lord, you always come to us saying, you don't desire me, but come to me and I can change your desires. And Lord, we confess this morning, we confess, Lord, that we don't desire you like we should. Lord, we don't treasure You the way that we should. We don't love You the way that we should. And Lord, if You were to take a measurement of our hearts, You would find the passion much too weak. 
And so, Lord, we come to You this morning in faith, the same way that we began our journey with You, by faith. And just like the moment when You first saved us, Lord, we come again asking for You to change us. Because we can be a church full of people who put up our facades and do everything right externally and inwardly not desire You. But Lord, we want to be a church that is passionate for You. That treasures You above all things. That finds our joy and our contentment in You. Help us, Lord. Oh Lord, we need Your help. Lord, we need You to change us. Because, Lord, if You don't change us, then we won't be changed. We're so weak. We're like little children, Lord. We're like little children. And like little children do, Lord, we come and climb in Your lap and ask You, our Heavenly Dad, would You change us? In Jesus' name.